Hi, everyone. Dr. Liz here. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're listening and learning. And hopefully it will help you with your journey along the way. I am a psychotherapist with a specialty in anxiety, insomnia, and deeper emotional healing. Hypnosis is one of the tools in my toolbox that I use to help people feel better and to help people be better. I do work all over the world. Please feel free to reach out and contact me if you would like some help. I've been an entrepreneur for most of my adult life. Built an award-winning company, sold it, and then focused mainly on my private practice. That gives you a unique perspective, especially my ability to work with people in business at all kinds of levels. Before I go, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go and subscribe to the newsletter and you'll get free hypnosis downloads that you can listen to immediately. Another way is to buy one of the downloads that I have for sale. I only have a couple up there, but they're good ones. They've stood the test of time. Or if you'd like to join my Patreon, that's an additional way to support the podcast. I made the decision to not run ads during my podcast because I really do see it as an act of service. I completely respect people who do have ads on their podcast, but it's just not my path. But a great way to show your own support for it is to join the Patreon. So if you're interested, pop on over there and check it out. All right, everyone, enjoy the episode. And I hope to see you back here soon. podcast, we are answering a question that was put into the comments when I ran the podcast survey in January of 2024. So the comment section, people could ask whatever they wanted in there. They could tell me something. They could ask for an episode topic to be recorded, all kinds of stuff. So that's what this one is. Hear my husband just coming in through the front door. Didn't know I was recording right now. So this interview is with Dr. Jill Gross. She's a licensed psychologist in Seattle, Washington. She's been in private practice for over 20 years, and she also happens to be my best friend. So you will hear us laugh a lot, even while we try to dispel some wisdom around um, what to do with those teenagers. So I hope you enjoy it. Peace. Hi, Jill. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Nice to be here. I know. I finally have my bestie on. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've already told the listeners you're a licensed psychologist in Seattle. How many years have you been practicing now? Before the iPhone. So I think Technically, 1999 is when I graduated, and then I became licensed in Arizona, and then uh -huh. promptly moved up to Seattle and really started practicing in earnest in 2002. Okay, so like 20, what is that? Old. Oh <laughs> 20 years, over 20 years. Okay. Math, short, short. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And you don't see teens, you see their parents. That's correct. correct. Yes. Okay, same with me. Um, but I did have you on because... The survey that I did, someone asked a question about dealing with older kids. So I'm going to read everybody the question, and then we're going to jump into how to answer it and why I had you on in particular. 
Go for it. They said, dealing with older kids, like graduating teens and how to let go, and how to deal with sneaking out, partying, fake IDs, clubbing. How much can we, quote unquote, make older teens listen to us, clean up their rooms, etc.? So that was the question that was asked. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> I, it, I immediately thought about you because... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's saying exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I think I sort of had the acting in teens who got depressed, really. And you had more of the acting out teens who <laughs> were like, um, I'm gonna go party crazy here. So and then around that time you also um started a mom support group and got all kinds of information. So I thought that would be really valuable valuable for our listeners. All right. And before we continue, I do want to say here that we're not talking about any kind of like serious addiction or violence problems. Mm-hmm. We are talking about run-of-the-mill teen stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. To, that's good to clarify. Or suicidality, you know. Yeah. Right. We're not talking about suicidality, mm-hmm. too. Agreed. Tell us your experience with your teens. And before we do that, give us some hope. Where are they now? And how old are they? <laughs> I tell people, I think they're reasonably well adjusted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They are, uh, uh, and actually next weekend, my youngest will be 20. And then a month after that, my oldest will be 22. Okay. Yeah. And they're both in college. They are both in college. One is a sophomore and the other one is a senior and will be graduating in June. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. I know. All right. I'm All so right. excited. I'm so excited to... Uh, yeah, to not have them be living in my house anymore. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. I love them. Love to see them go- come. Love to see them go. Yes. So what were they like as teenagers? Oh, wow. Um, well, they were both pretty different. So I have a daughter who's the oldest and then my son is the younger one. And my daughter was, um, how do I put this? I think she had an external facing side and an internal side. And I don't think that her father and I really had any idea that there was a split between those two sides until some information came out. And then it was just like kind of an instant unveiling of both of the sides, one of which the interior side was very different from what we saw. So on the outside, we saw a child who was excelling in school and learning ballet and, um, you know, making friends and doing all that, all the things that you would want your teenagers to do. But unbeknownst to us, you know, she had recently gotten a phone and um, had kind of become friends with other kids who I think were in the process of testing the limits. So she started doing things like trying to sneak out and or sneaking out. <laughs> she tr- she tried and failed and then she tried and succeeded a bunch, but we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just all sort of came to a head when, when the veil was pulled and it, it was pulled when we found out that she was sneaking out in the middle of the night while staying the night at a friend's house, leaving her phone there at the house that she was supposed to be so that if we checked, I, I wouldn't check in the middle of the night But Mm -hmm. if I did, it would look like she was where she was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But in reality, she and this friend were sneaking out and they went to uh, her dad's house. We live in separate houses and went to his house unbeknownst to him and had a big party. 
uh, did not clean up thoroughly oh, enough. Yeah. He was out of town. <laughs> he right? was out of town. Yeah. So he had a big party. She had a big party and yeah. um, he came home and he saw evidence that there had been people in his house and naturally, understandably, was not thrilled about that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we had kind of gone with the philosophy of sort of trust your kids until they give you a reason to believe that that would be unwise. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of started looking through her phone and found other evidence of things that she was doing, like drinking and um, smoking pot and sending pictures. You don't want your kid to send pictures to people that probably shouldn't be seeing them. And all the mm-hmm. things, all the things were happening. Mm-hmm. And how... How did she feel about you going through her phone? She did not initially? like that. She did not like it. Um, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, pretty yeah. high. I was that like, was I, my, you can't. That was my next stuff. question. How did you I, feel about it? Terrible. I felt terrible. One of the things I noticed about raising teens is it feels like in those moments of tension, there there just so rarely is an a hundred percent clearly right answer. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you just have to do your best. And so we felt like if she didn't do a thorough job cleaning up the scene at the party, there might be a part of her that was secretly kind of wishing for us to see that she was not on a great path. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went with that and, Mm -hmm. and just felt like, well, if finding out what's going on makes me better able to help her and help us talk about things in a way we clearly weren't talking about them before, then that was a chance I was willing to take. Okay. But then you changed your opinion later. Yeah. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) This is a big issue that parents struggle with. So I think in the past, it was whether they read their kid's journal or not. I had parents that read my journal when I was acting out as a teenager. I felt like such a violation. It took me years to journal again. I still hide them. Yeah. (laughs) That's the number one reason that people, you know, our clients won't journal because they're afraid of it falling into the wrong hands. Understand because many of us have those experiences. It's so true. But then in this day and age, it's checking the phone. Like how much access do you have to your kid's phone? And should you go snooping through it? Tell us about the change. Uh, The change of when things kind of pivoted. Well, no. How did you change your opinion about going through the phone? Because, you know, all the advice we get is like, oh, having a phone is a privilege. There's even like phone contracts that I even printed out. And my kids were like, we're not signing this of like, (laughs) (laughs) like, it's a rebellion, (laughs) mutiny. (laughs) We will not sign the contract. (laughs) It's a privilege. And I have the right to go through your phone at any time. And, you know. We have had discussions about how how long do you track your kids at like Life 360, you know, like when do you turn that off? What age, yeah. meaning not like what time of night, but like <laughs> what age do you turn that off? Like it's a it's a big question here. Yeah, it's it is. It really is. And and we did, by the way, have all of those caveats in place that, you know, that the phone, she was using the phone, but the phone technically belonged to her parents. And that, you know, at any time we could go through our, our text messages or her text messages and such. We wanted to start out with, we're going to trust you until you give us a reason that yeah. that's unwise to know that's unwise. 
when the party happened and we sort of found out all the things that were going on, I put a bunch of parental controls, by the way, to your listeners. Parental control is a misnomer. There is really no such thing. I believe that, you know, as parents, we now have the added expectation that we have a PhD in information science and technology and computer programming. And I don't know about you, but I just, I didn't. And so I put the parental controls on there. And one day I was having struggles with the parental controls and I looked up on YouTube how to fix it. And there was one video for how to fix it. And there were like 15 for how to go around it. <laughs> and in those, those little uh, thumbnail videos, yeah. the person in the video is clear also 14. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I tell people this a lot because it was the image that came into my head is like, I felt like I was taking these corks and trying to plug the hole of the ship. Yeah. One hole at a time. And that my daughter would just be behind me with a hand drill, mm-hmm. drilling little holes. <laughs> I would have one plugged and she'd drill like three more. Yeah. And it just got to be exhausting. And so I remember a a colleague and friend of mine um, said to me, when in doubt, always go back to the relationship. And I could see that trying to control her behavior was hurting our relationship Mm. more than it wasn't. Like I was, of course, scared that harm would come to her. So I was being very diligent about tracking her and following her and wanting to know where she was all the time. And she, you know, had been lying. And I just one day said to her, um, and I'm not recommending this as a formal intervention to anyone. Got I'm just it. Telling you what, what I did okay. is um, I told her that I was getting really exhausted by the game of cops and robbers that we were playing. Mm. And that um, my hope for her is that if she lied to us, that she would have a natural consequence, which is to feel like shit. And I think I use those words. I think I said, you know, if you lie to me, I hope you feel like shit. And um, if I find out, like if, mm-hmm. if, it ha- if that information finds me, mm-hmm. there will have to be consequences. But unless or until that happens, I have to let this go. And I have to trust you to make good decisions and good decisions with technology because I'm not always going to be there yeah. to police your behavior. So you you have to learn how to do that for yourself. And I'm here if you ever feel like you're in over your head. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that was a, a marked turning point in our relationship. I think she started to trust me more because I started to trust her more and that trust beget itself. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think we really gave her that much incentive to lie. Okay. So quite the opposite of crackdown. Like first you crack down control. Yep. Like I must control mm-hmm. everything. I must try yep. to know where she is and who she's talking to and all, all the time. All yeah. the time. Yes. <laughs> and then when you got exhausted, you're just like letting go. Which when we were talking about this interview beforehand, we we both remarked, that's the major task of adolescence, independence versus dependence. Yes. And for parents as too, like control versus that's true. Independence for them. That is true. The tide starts to recede and our sphere of influence starts to shrink. Yes. And it's one thing to know that intellectually, but it's another thing to be watching it happen because, you know, I always thought I was pretty close to my kids. Mm -hmm. What I think the hardest part about, you know, the big reveal was that I don't think, well, I know I really felt like I did know part of her, Mm -hmm. but there was a part that she was experiencing that she was keeping pretty well hidden from view. Yeah. And that was really tough. Yeah. And... I would say um, pretty normal for adolescents too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have to wall us off. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yeah. We had talked about that as both of us as teenagers had pretty tough times. And then the moms in the support group, what happened with the support group when you all came together? What was it about 10 moms? Uh, I can't remember the number, but I think it was pretty close to that. Okay. The same colleague who said, come back to the relationship, um, recommended Lisa Demore's book, which yes. I would highly recommend to all of your listeners who have teenage girls. And then she's since read in a book called the emotional lies of teenagers for that. I think it's more gender. Oh, she has interesting. Mm-hmm. Her first one is called untangled untangled. Exactly. Yes. And it's about, um, you know, raising the, all of the emotional tasks that teenage girls are trying to sort through and figure out and having mm-hmm. that as a framework was really helpful for, um, for me. And so I started recommending it to other moms and they start who of same age, who had same age daughters and they started reading it. And then one of the other moms and I just thought, you know, if enough people want this information, would anyone be interested in a support group? And we got quite a bit of interest so I think there was between like eight to 10 core members who would come to the meetings and we would meet like once a month in somebody's house. Mm-hmm. And the first meeting was probably ha- had the biggest attendance. And we all kind of went around the room and introduced ourselves and talked about kind of what life was like for us as teenagers. And these women told these crazy stories, myself included, about the mm-hmm. crazy things we were doing you know, we were sneaking out, we were yep. having sex, we were do- trying drugs, we were riding in the back of pickup trucks unrestrained in the middle of the <laughs> night when our parents thought we were sleeping over at Susie's house, yep. hypothetically speaking. And I looked around the room and I said to myself, if my daughter turns out like any of these women who did crazier things than the things she's doing now, and myself included, mm-hmm. I would be okay with that. It was a big relief to know that you know, if anything, I think we had more freedom mm-hmm. to experiment with things that frankly were not wise ideas, you know, right. yeah. than kids do now. I think kids have less physical space mm-hmm. to get into things, but they have more access to the world at large through their phones. Mm-hmm. You know, like if we were having an inappropriate relationship with a creepy man three times our age, like we'd have to really be clever about orchestrating that in a way that our parents wouldn't see that person or know about the person he'd be calling the home phone because we wouldn't have cell phones. Totally. Whereas our kids have access to people all across the world of all different ages. Yes. You know, they have, they can buy drugs on TikTok. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And yeah. so we just didn't have, we had to work for our access. We did. We had, yeah. We had to work for it. <laughs> it's interesting because I did have a an inappropriate relationship. He wasn't too much older than me. Like I think I was 15. He was 18. Mm-hmm. The time is a huge difference. Yeah. And so he would pass messages or through one of my friends. And like my parents thought I was at the church youth group on Sunday nights. And he would come and pick me up in his car. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then take me back <laughs> before it ended. You know, my, my sister knew what was going on because there's no way she didn't know she was at the youth group. <laughs> Wait a minute. Elizabeth wasn't at the youth group. <laughs> she would cover for me. I don't remember even how she covered for me. But um, but yeah, it took a lot of effort. And eventually I dropped it. It was just sort of too much effort, really. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. these days, it, it does not take a whole lot of effort for something like that to happen. 
Yeah, they have they have a lot of access and they can do it all from their bedroom with the door closed, whereas we had to kind yeah. of go out in the world and seek it and work hard for it. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think that mo- the mom's group ended up being, you know, all these w- room full of wonderful women who mm-hmm. were telling a version of the same story and all of their children like mine were delightful. And I thought, okay, (laughs) (laughs) there's hope. (laughs) Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Once you started concentrating on the relationship, things really began to turn. That's a, that is a hundred percent true. Okay. And she, you know, I noticed just out of fear, I would be kind of restricting her access to phones and things like that. And she finally started saying things to me like um, one time she, she I, I wanted her to go to bed earlier than she wanted to go to bed. Like people pick the hill you're going to die on. That was just not, that's not one of them. <laughs> I gave that one up a um, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And so I would, you know, take their phone away and all that. Yeah. Well, I was asking them to, I'm going to make up a number. I think I was asking them to go to bed at like 930 and I didn't expect they would fall asleep, but I yeah. make the space for sleep. Like you can read a book, you can have quiet yeah. time, you can draw whatever. I'm not the boss of when you fall asleep, but I am the boss of your technology. So please Mm -hmm. give it to me. And then you have at least the space, quiet space to fall asleep when you're ready. And what she explained to me is that space, when I'm done with my homework and all the noise of the day is turned off, that's when I really want to connect with my friends the most because they're available. Mm -hmm. All their activities are over. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm often feeling like I'm not part of a conversation that they're having and I feel really left out. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that was very different from her kind of yelling and screaming and having a tantrum and demanding that her needs be met. Mm-hmm. And so I was willing to meet her halfway and we ended up making a compromise and I let her have her technology for a little longer. And when she was ready for bed, she would put it out in the hallway and charge it there. And that was a reasonable compromise. So we just started listening to each other instead of reacting to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that felt a lot better. Definitely. Yeah. So this went on over a couple of months, years, like where you um, begin to reach these compromises. That I think all transpired over the course of sophomore year. Okay. Like sophomore year was a really tough year for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the wings of the plane started evening out mm-hmm. for sophomore year. Okay. All right. And what about Jacob, your son? He was more, as you said, an acting inward kid. Mm -hmm. Um, He was, well, and he had the unfortunate experience, as many of our teenagers did, of being right in the middle of high school when COVID happened. He was already a kid who had just fewer friends because he's just more internal. And then the access to those friends completely stopped. All of his school was online. And so I think in retrospect, oh, and he also doesn't really talk. So you know, he is, he's a male, he is a male <laughs> When you ask him a question, you're going to give out three words and that's a lot of words. Um, <laughs> so he wasn't really forthcoming with his feelings, but I, my spidey senses suggested that he was probably a, a little bit or a lot depressed. I try, would try to talk to him about it and he wouldn't want to talk about it, um, but I could see that he was sad. So I talked to his dad and we agreed to find him a counselor. And he, of course, was resistant at first. So I just remember saying, listen, you know, all I'm asking for is an hour of your time Mm -hmm. and an open mind to see if having someone that you can talk to who's not me or your dad might be helpful because this has been such a hard time with COVID and all that. He agreed. Okay. And he liked the counselor. 
And so he, he kept going and I think he went for several months. Um, and then COVID kind of started lifting and, Mm -hmm. you know, we were able to see people outside and we were able to find ways to get him reconnected with his friends. And he was able to start fencing again. Eventually he was a big fencer and still is. I think reconnecting with that fencing community was really a big part of the turnaround for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he could do it in person. He, those are, that was his family away from his family and continues to be, and has really been, that's, I think it's the thing that's kept him off drugs. <laughs> Stay off drugs, kids. Just don't be on drugs. Um, and so for him, fencing was, was a, a, a healthy alternative to, what he could have been getting into. I think that he had more unstructured time. Okay. All right. That's a common question I get from people is whether to make your kids go to therapy. And I used to work with adolescents, like child and family specialists. So that includes adolescents. Did you ever work with adolescents or no? Is it always adults? I think I did for a hot minute when I started in Seattle with a group practice and wasn't really able to pick the people I worked with. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I just discovered that when I became a parent myself, I was way more identified with the parents than I was with the teenagers. So oh, yeah. um, just, I think because I had a lot of empathy for how frightening it was to be in that in-between space where they're not adults, but they're not little kids anymore. Yeah. Um, so I sort of receded from that area of practice and started working with adults only. Okay. All right. And I stopped seeing adolescents because they just lied to me a lot during session. <laughs> No, adolescents don't lie, not to their counselors, <laughs> not to their parents, not to their yeah, teachers. Know, right? yeah. and, um, while we're recording this, my youngest is still at home. She's a senior in high school. And the other day we we're having a conversation with some of her friends were over. And one of her friends said, um, it was really nice when my therapist finally said to me, why are you lying to me? Whoa. <laughs> Mic drop therapist. I know, right? I was like, wow, like you appreciated that? She's like, oh yeah. Because then I could, I felt like, oh, I can, maybe I can tell her the truth here. Yeah. So it was really interesting. And this is like a great kid. Let me tell you. (laughs) Yes. She had not told me, but I love it when she comes over. I just love her to death. And um, I usually tell parents there, there's only one time that I force my kids to go to therapy. Like usually I say, if the teen wants to go, then you take them. If they don't, you don't make them because they'll sit there yeah. and say nothing or they'll lie. They'll just straight up lie and make up stories. And then you're really just wasting your money. But I yeah. said, um, when Eva was suicidal, I said, you have to be in therapy. Even if you sit there and just stare at them, you have to go. And you let me yeah. know when those feelings lift or get better and we will talk about it again. So that's yeah. really the only time that I say, you know, make a teen go to therapy is that situation. Yeah. And that was during COVID for her as well. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was so rough on our, our young people and it was rough on all of us, but it was really rough on them. Yeah. I mean, their whole life is defined by social activity and where they fit in a group outside of their family. And then suddenly they were just stuck with their families all the time. Yes. And it wasn't a natural process for them. Um, My daughter was going through it when, so COVID happened, she was not able to graduate in in an informal graduation ceremony and didn't go to prom and all of that got canceled. So, you know, it was a rough time in our house. They were both, I think, dealing with a lot of grief and anxiety and 
Mm -hmm. It's real hard on them. I always try to be careful to say, my job is to make the space and their job is to figure out how they want to fill the space. So I thought, well, I'll set up the the counseling appointment. Mm -hmm. And if it's a yes to counseling, but I don't know how I felt with that specific person, we can find a different person. Yeah. Um, My only request of you is that you will make an honest attempt to try to make this something that could be useful for you. Mm-hmm. And deep down, I sense that he really wanted that. But I think his natural inclination, he's always been this kind of kid, like his first response to anything new is always no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, nope. too. Yeah, uh-uh, no, no, no. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <is> so <laughs> I think yeah. when he met the person and realized, you know, he didn't have a horn growing out of his head, and he wasn't weird or anything. Mm-hmm. I think he kind of felt like he could, he could rely on that person. They had, I think, a pretty decent stretch. And he started feeling a little bit better. And then things started coming back online and it naturally headed in that direction. Got it. Got it. All right. So let's look at the other part of that question. What about letting go in college? What would you like to know? I know. (laughs) I'm still figuring it out. (laughs) It's, I mean, I had clients that are older than me, obviously, and I always appreciated when their kids went to college, but I really, truly did not understand what a grief process it is Yes, when they leave the house and they're, they're gone yeah. and how the whole environment changes in the house. And I remember crying and crying that, you know, months before Mia was going to go and she was going off to Italy. So she wasn't just going you know, yeah, a couple that was, hours that was away. Change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's going across <laughs> the world. And one of my friends finally said to me, she's like, you know, <laughs> it's okay to cry. It's okay. But she's like, there's going to come a time when she comes home for Christmas and then you can't wait till she leaves. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, no, no, not my precious child, yeah. you know? Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, you know, you pick up enough socks and it's like, yeah, 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 I'm tired of picking. I've had my lifetime maximum of picking (laughs) up other people's socks. Like I just, if I never had to pick up another sock again in my life, it would be too soon. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. So I really appreciate it. What a grief process that is when they leave and you really start to pre-grieve, like thinking about it and imagining it and planning for it and and trying to figure out what that's going to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a grief specialist, I know typically that's not what you're seeing people for is their, their grief over their kids that are going to college. But that does um, happen. It yeah. Does. Okay. Oh, sure. Empty yeah. nest is a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a big change. Because you think about how much space your children or one's children occupy in one's life. That is a big part of what gives adult life when we are parents structure yes, and meaning and purpose. And you kind of know what's happening in the future. You know, eighth eighth grade is followed by ninth grade. And then we've got the summer vacation. You know, we just kind of always know where things are roughly where they're headed. And all of a sudden that just stops. Yeah, it does. Right. Yeah. I think the structure around that. Um, is a big, huge change. Mm-hmm. I know it has been for me. My Eva again is spending some weekends with at her boyfriend's house with that he doesn't live on his own with his parents, but she'll go mm-hmm. and, and stay a Saturday, Sunday, or something overnight. And 
I'm just sort of left like, oh, this is what it's really going to be like. Yes. Like the one child launched from college, graduated from college, did all of that. And now this one's next. There's about four and a half years between them for for listeners who don't know that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, this is pretty boring. That's what I felt like this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) What am I going to do with all this time? Exactly. Yeah. I think Saturday I watched TV all day and I was like, oh, this isn't really good for me. It's really not like it sort of makes me feel down and depressed. And I'm like, okay, tomorrow I'm making the list. Like I got to get some stuff done, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said it because, you know, I remember when I had a baby, I was pregnant and my own mother said, you are not going to realize or know or understand what you did with all that free time before your baby comes along. And sure enough, the baby came and I thought, geez, she's right. Like I can barely get away for a shower or a trip to the grocery store. And then, you know, adolescence is sort of a slow return mm-hmm. to that life. Only your knees don't feel as good when they leave um, as, <laughs> as they did before yeah, you had right. them. That's what I've been feeling. I'm like, oh, I love my knees to be 25. <laughs> yes. Um, but then all of a sudden it's returned back to you. And, I, you know, I think you and I are pretty lucky because we have a profession. Mm-hmm. You know, we have something to do. But, you know, I know some folks who raising kids was their profession. And so when the kids yeah. left, it really did create a pretty big gap. Oh, yeah. But it's hard. It's hard to know how to fill in the space when they leave. And it's a learn as you go process for sure. Yes. Yeah, I think it does take some um, intention, really. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Right now, if you've ever wanted to do something, now's the time to do it, right? You want to learn French, go learn French. You want to oh, yeah. take up knitting, take up knitting. Um travel. A lot of people travel. Yeah. Yes. Starting a new quilt was on my list yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you make beautiful quilts too. Yeah. I was watching a lot of alone too. And I was like the show alone. And I was like, you know what? I could take like a wilderness survival course. Like, <laughs> There you go. Think, think outside the box, Dr. Liz. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm never spending more than like two days in the wilderness alone probably if you can help it right it's <laughs> like I'll, I'll take a course about how to you know? you know it's interesting you never know when you're gonna have to make may, need to make like a broth out of tree bark <laughs> well the season I happen to be watching one of the women's like 57 and I'm like she's three years older than me <laughs> you could do this yes <laughs> You really can. You know, we can pretty much, we're fortunate enough to have the gift of of mobility and we can um, move around the country, the cabin, the out of doors, wherever we want to move around. And sometimes in a way that I think that adds what feels to me in a moment, it's like the burden of choice. Like when you have Mm -hmm. kids, you don't really choose. You're just like, well, I got to be at the soccer tournament on Saturday and all the things. Yes. Um, And then all of a sudden you're just really, I'm just was really aware of this is my choice now. Like this yeah. is my choice mm-hmm. and I don't really know what to do. Help me. Somebody help me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because you're much more of an extrovert than I am. I'm far more of an introvert. And so I, I felt like, Oh, I'm going to do fine with like time on my own. And whenever I first started doing that and um, I'm like, I'm going to be happy as pie, but I did not find that I found like, Oh, I actually probably should go out and get some like social interaction. And uh, Stacy, my husband was, I think he played golf that whole day or something. I was on my own the whole day, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So 
I was like, all right, I should go to the grocery store and be around people, period. Yep. Yeah. Like not even necessarily friends. I could have called a friend to hang out too. But it is making that effort, I think, mm-hmm. to make sure that you're having something to look forward to. I found some structure yes. to the day. So now you're creating your own structure. Yes. Um, I was thinking, I think just this morning about how people who love to cook probably have a an easier structure to their day because they're like shopping for the ingredients and they're looking forward to making the ingredients. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they're looking forward to eating the nice meal. Yeah. And it just gives a structure that it's like someone I'd like to cook some, but I'm not like, I don't love to cook like some people do, like you do. So it gives it the structure that um, is really intentional again, like someone's making an effort to do that. I think that's a really good observation too, in terms of being like, one has to be intentional and how one provides a kind of structure that makes sense to them. And you're right. And that is a big love, a part of my love of cooking is, you know, I have to sit down at the computer. I don't, I use a computer to find most of my recipes and I find the recipes and I always try to challenge myself to make something I've never made before and see how it goes. And it's an incentive to have people over because, you know, Mm -hmm. cooking for one is so much more challenging than cooking for three or four people. It's true. Um, So I have incentive to, you know, make the effort to reach out to social folks, my social support system Mm -hmm. and invite people over. And who doesn't like free food? I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, it's also nice for people to be like, Oh, this is really good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Nice. You know, it took, yeah, they do. And they're like, so I really feel lucky to have such, you know, when you were one of them, one of the like lovely people in my life. And, um, and I think having the kids gone has really sort of brought that more sharply into focus. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for it. You know, I, our job is to put ourselves out of a job. Yes. Yeah. That's our yes. job. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I probably felt like we didn't need our parents at a younger age than I think kids do now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not not uncommon for kids to move back home after college or not to to, to live on campus and to live at home. And, mm-hmm. you know, the runway of launch is so much longer now than it used to be. That's and true. I think it's because we had the freedom and the space to to make our own decisions. And we didn't have cell phones where we could call we could rent a frontal cortex from our parents. <laughs> I'm at the bus stop and the bus didn't come. What should I do? Well, they can call, but was before we would go, well, what should we do? And then we'd sort of problem solve it out. And we didn't yes. have Google. Yeah. And they don't, you know, they just don't have that. Um, so I think they just seem to need us for a little bit longer than kids our age did when we were that that's, age. that's very true. Yeah. They can either Google it. I mean, my kids actually don't, they call me and I'm like, why don't you Google it? <laughs> Let me show you to Google. So, it's like, no, no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Yeah, sure. You know, and then Google it and see if that's the right answer. Cause I don't know if I'm right. I've got Google yeah. everything too. I'm Hold a big old hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> this and see. You know? Yeah. Like I have literally remembered thinking, cause when my parents divorced, my parents divorced when I was 12 and I, you know, I didn't know anything about chores or anything like that. I should have, but I didn't. And I learned, right. You know, I learned how to clean a bathroom with somebody handing me a container of Comet and a sponge and some gloves and saying, clean the bathroom. Yes. And I realized like I had never taught my kids how to clean a bathroom. And Mm -hmm. I sent them to college, not knowing this information, tragic. 
And then I thought, well, I'm sure there's a YouTube video. <laughs> like, I can outsource that to YouTube. Yes. Yes. There's got to be somebody teaching kids how to clean bathrooms somewhere on YouTube. So yes. um, I guess technology is not always a bad thing. It's but, not. Uh, oh, I still yeah. watch cleaning videos on YouTube. There you go. See? I'm 54 and I'm like, let's look at a new one. I don't know. They fascinate me. <laughs> How do I get that <laughs> smell out of clothes? Thank totally. You, <laughs> yeah, there's stuff that I try and I'm like, this did not work on the glass stove top. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, YouTube is a, it's a treasure trove of instruction for how to do the most basic things and sometimes the not so basic things. So, yes. Yeah. But I do wonder about that. I do. I recently yeah. was ha hanging out with a colleague who's probably about, so he's 68, I'm 52. So older, I can't do the math. And he told me a story about how he and his friend took their bikes. She lived in Michigan at the time. And one summer, mm -hmm. um, he was 15 mm -hmm. and he and his friend took their bikes and loaded up a canvas tent okay, and some air quotes, supplies, uh -huh. who knows what they were, maybe a bag of Cheetos and some Diet Coke and put it on the back of their bike and rode those bikes to Canada. Whoa. Yep. And then they paddled. They, then they found, they went, came to some lake of some sort, and then they found a canoe and got a canoe and canoed out to this little remote island that was like in the middle of this local lake. Uh-huh. And they were the only two on the whole island. They'd camped and Lord of the Flies did for a whole week until they ran out of supplies. And then they loaded the canoe back up and then paddled this canoe back to their bikes, which miraculously were still there. They did not lock, lock the bicycles up. This was a different time and day and time. Yeah. And loaded their bikes up and bicycled back to Michigan. And they were oh gone. Gosh. He said just a little over three weeks, three. 15 years old. His parents had no idea where they were. He, they knew he was going to be gone, that he was going to go on an adventure and he had a general idea of where they okay. were going to go. But he didn't tell them, yeah. this is the island we're playing and going to. No, no. no. And that he did not call home once. Oh my God. Yep. You know, he got home and everything was fine. And he said that that was one of the most instrumental experiences and the most memorable experiences, the most positive memory that he has of his childhood was the three weeks he spent away from his parents. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, wow, man, <laughs> I wouldn't even let my kid walk up to the Fred Meyer and it's like four blocks away. My complaints about that, that I wouldn't let her go to the 7-Eleven forever. Yeah. But I'd be like, you got to be really careful. You got to be aware of your surroundings, you know, yes. this. and it's like, oh yeah. Three yeah. weeks on a bicycle. See you later. And he's living in Detroit. He's not just living in Michigan. He's living in Detroit, wow. which is not exactly known for its low crime rate. So yeah. And and he did oh. it. And I just, you know, we we all sort of came away from that meetup uh with the impression that, you know, if you let kids do more for themselves, it really helps them figure out how to do it. Yeah. And if we're there curating their lives for them and making those decisions for them, they don't have the space or the ambiguity. You need ambiguity you to help make order. Like just don't, they don't have that anymore. And so they don't know how to think. Yeah. Our kids don't know how to think. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. It's true. Like take away some of the certainty and, and resources at hand resources and mm -hmm. they'll begin to, to think differently and think for themselves and try things out. And yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And it's always hard to know where to cut the cord, you know, it but, is. you know, if you have the little phone app that you can look 
and see where your kid's blue dot is, mm-hmm. you know, there are ways in which I think that generates anxiety and questions that we wouldn't have if we just didn't have that information. And our parents did not, I mean, this 15 year old's parents did not have no, that information for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I've never had it on my kids mm-hmm. ever. Like even when, um, I think Mia got her first phone in middle school because the mm-hmm. bus didn't show up when it was supposed to show up because it had broken down somewhere and, yeah. you know, but eventually, of course they brought her to the bus stop. Eventually she got where she needed to go. <laughs> Even then I never turned on that whole tracking thing. Cause I don't know. There's just something about it for me that I don't need to know. That's part of my own, like they can live their lives. Yeah. And I also had an older friend that said, um, bad news will always find you. It's true. If it's an emergency, they'll come knocking on you. Someone's going to come knocking on your door. It will. And it's weird. I don't leave my phone on at night either. I don't, I feel like, you know, sleep at 52 is a, oh my a precious and, ra- and rare commodity. Me too. And you know, my, my kids keep different hours. And if they want to send me a text message at one o'clock, that's, you know, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I I'm going to hear it. So I just turn it off and trust that if it's a real emergency, People know how to find me. They can come knock on the door and I'll hear them. It's true. I turn mine off too. I mean, I pay for that sometimes because they think it was over um, the holidays. They both said to me, oh, well, you know, we always put dad down as emergency because we know he'll pick up his phone. He even picks up spam calls. He picks it up at 2 a.m., blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, that's fantastic. I'm glad you have that dad. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Don't have that mom. I'm not doing it. You know, I've always yes. had, I had two professions yes. where I couldn't keep my phone on. I'm not keeping it on during session as a therapist. And when I was no. a yoga teacher, it's like, no, phones are off. You know, no one's yes. interrupting me then. So you can all tolerate it for a little bit. But that's the thing. I think that that having instant gratification and instant access to answers. And clarity has reduced our capacity for tolerating ambiguity Yeah, and life. I mean, control, and that maybe we kind of bring it full circle with this is like control is an illusion. Yes. And all the parenting books, what I loved about Lisa DeMore's book is that it's not about control. It's about understanding, yeah. which is, you know, pertains to the, how to have a better relationship with kids. But I think we respond, many parents, and I was one of them responded to the fear of letting go by trying to convince myself that I could control things that I couldn't control. Yeah. And so I would invite any parent who might be in that situation to ask themselves, you know, how can I foster an environment of of communication? Mm -hmm. And I may not always like what my kids are doing. Mm -hmm. And I have told them, you know, pot is legal in this state. And so Mm -hmm. I had kid, I have two kids who like pot on occasion to, to smoke pot on occasion. And they don't lie to me about it. And I always say, I really wish you weren't doing that. I think there are some risks that we know about and maybe some risks that we don't, Mm -hmm. but it is your life and it is your decision. And I'd rather you be honest with me about what you're doing Mm -hmm. than lie and hide and sneak behind my back. Yeah. So careful. You'll hear a bunch of stuff you don't want to (laughs) hear. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's refreshing. I mean, when you live in a house with secrets and lies, that energy is there somewhere. And I think Everybody feels the tension, but nobody knows how to name it or talk about it. I think that's very true. Yes. Yeah. Like I grew up wanting to hide a lot mm-hmm. of who I was and what I was doing. And it's there. It is. It led to a lot of conflict and, and um, pain. Yes. 
I foster the same type of environment with my kids. It's like, come to me and talk to me and we'll have a discussion. And I may not agree with it, Mm -hmm. but you ultimately made the choice. Uh, Not this weekend, but I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, her boyfriend was sick. Mm -hmm. She wanted to go see him. I'm like, I don't agree with that choice. Like, Usually you stay away when someone's, <laughs> you know, but I was like, has COVID not taught us anything? <laughs> no, right. But I was like, but it's your choice. So, yeah. you know, you make the choice. If you can convince your dad to take you up there, yeah. I'm not taking you up there, but convince your dad, take you over to his house and go for it. I think that's a really great example because what it speaks to is your boundary yeah. of, I can't make this choice for you, but I'm not going to drive you to see a sick person. <laughs> totally. Like, you know, I told my daughter, you know, you can go to these parties in the woods that she was obsessed with going to for a while, mm-hmm. which by the way, are still going on Really, for high schoolers who are that age. I'm like, really? They're, and they call them spodies. That's a whole nother thing. Look it up on Google. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have these- third space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a third space so for have- teenagers hanging out. Yeah. Mia said to okay. me the other day, like we don't have a lot of third spaces. No, is Eva for teenagers. There's not a whole lot of places for just us to hang out. Oh, like you're right. I I kind of like that. That's a nice a nice reframe. And the and the big pull for the Spody is that there's usually one kid who has access to illegally purchased alcohol. Yeah. That he then upsells to all the people oh, and they pay their five dollars and get all the free gross electric Kool Aid they can drink uh-huh. and. Um, and it was happening in the woods. And she said, you know, I'm going to be at the Spody. And I said, you can go to the Spody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can take you there, which was very hard. But as soon as I drive away, I want you to know I'm going to call the police and tell them that there are underage kids drinking in the woods. Did you? Or did she like, never mind, don't take? No, I did. I did. And this is bad. <laughs> sure. Yep. I'm like, okay, I'll drop you off. And you're oh probably going to have to come, I'm probably going to have to turn right back around and come get you because they're going to, you know, I'm going to call the police. Like, I can't not say anything about a, how a woods full of children, teenagers yeah. drinking illegally. Like, I just think that's a, that's not okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so that went on for a little while. And before I'd figured that out, I said, I'll drop you off but I'm going to honk and wave as I drive away in front of all your friends. <laughs> I embarrassed you. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, I think eventually the Spodies became unpleasant enough that, yeah. or the idea did. Yeah. So I wasn't really telling her she couldn't go. And some could say taking her there was a mixed message, but I didn't want her driving in a car with other kids who'd been drinking. Yeah. Um, Got it. that was a big no, no for me. So I, I said, I'll take you. And I also have a responsibility if you're among those children to let the, the officials know that there's illegal activity happening in the woods. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, we're um, coming to the end of our time here. I think we've had, um, some good advice for people. I'm hoping that it's helpful for people, some good laughs. And, um, I'd like to end with a quote from Mike Bundrant. I interviewed him actually in 2019 on the podcast on a self-sabotage. So it's a good episode. But at the very end, I said, hey, Mike, um, you have six kids, right? And he <laughs> he said, yes, I do. I said, do you have any advice about adolescence? And he said, this too will pass. That's what he said. Oh, that's great. Well, and Lisa DeMore also said, which I think would be um, helpful for the listeners to know if they haven't read the book. That there are, I think she said like 101 ways to get it right. Oh, that's and, really nice. Um, 
And I really remember that being comforting because as we said earlier, that in adolescence, it's just so nothing feels so nothing feels good when you're making these decisions that are really hard to make. Sometimes you just have to make the best of the lousy options you have. Yeah. And hearing that there are more ways to get it right than get it wrong, I think might be just helpful to tuck away in your heart when you're parenting teenagers. That's true. Well, thank mm-hmm. you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and advice with us. Oh, you're very welcome. If someone wants your advice, let's say your wisdom or wants to work with you, how can they contact you? The best way to get in touch with me is probably email Jill, J-I-L-L at D-R-J-I-L-L-G-R-O-S-S dot com. So Jill at Dr. Jill Gross dot com. And if they want to find out more about my practice, they can look me up at www.drjillgross, so drjillgross.com. All right. And you can work with people in the state of Washington. They have to be located there, but you can do a one-off consultation or something for someone in other areas. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. If the services the client is seeking kind of falls outside the rubric of therapy, I'm able to talk to them if they're not in Washington state. Um, But if they want therapy or ongoing therapy, they do have to be physically located in Washington. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us and um, have a wonderful day. Thank you. Pleasure. truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace. This podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need therapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional.